Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, all my woods people? Today is a beautiful day here in Texas, and we just got here, and it's uh, it's very beautiful sitting in this AC within this Jeep. But as soon as we step outside, it is a sweat fest, and uh, I am excited. KC, how you feeling, man? <laughs> well, Tyler, um, I'm not feeling too great. Yeah, I developed a head cold while we were in Bozeman. Yeah, I, I felt it yesterday. It literally set on as we were driving back to Bozeman from the Yellowstone River. Yeah. So I felt it happen. I was like, oh, no, not good. But I'm excited to be home, and I'm very sad to be gone from Montana. And it's, it's a really weird feeling. It's almost like I just came home from a Colorado elk hunt. Very yeah. similar situation. Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, and I, I'll tell you this. I had the same thing about a day before you did. And it la- it only lasted, I felt like, 24 hours. So maybe you're, like, closing in on... Mm, I'm on, like, 26 hours right yeah. now. So hopefully it'll be going soon. Maybe, maybe you're closing in. Yeah. Or, um, but I don't know. I mean, I felt like that it was it came to fruition because of the smoke. Yeah, I don't know. For me, at least. Because I know, like, um, a couple days into it, my throat started itching and that kind of thing. And then you know, whatever day that was, mm-hmm. I was like, my eyes felt like they were so swollen and tired. Like I almost like I've never felt unless yeah. I was like really sick, you know? Yeah. And it, I'm thinking it was just allergies had swollen up my, my eyelids. And then we had all that rain and I guess that kind of knocked things down for me, but, uh, maybe it finally, like it finally just came to 
that came to a head within your head. And uh, <laughs> there you go. Maybe so. You know. Yeah. So let's clarify why there was smoke. It's not like we were cooking meat outside. No. Right? Yeah. So I don't really know, other than the fact that there was forest fires. <laughs> yeah, like half the west is on fire right now, and I am a. This is a weird thing to say, but I'm a proponent of forest fires because, like, that's what's naturally supposed to happen. The problem is right now is that we fought fire so long in the West that, like, there's this huge amount of fuel built up and there's way more fires burning than what there should be. Mm-hmm. So uh, this year's been a really bad fire season. Because Wasn't last been, year, too? Yeah, last year was pretty bad, but I think this year's worse. Huh. Uh, last year was the year that actually happened in Texas and, in, in, like, Oklahoma and stuff. Yeah. And it was kind of kind of crazy but i uh i know i saw the the uh, dollar ridge fire like 12 or 16 hours after it actually started there in utah we that when we were driving you oh, know yeah, in july yeah. we actually saw that one we were right pretty close to that we mm-hmm. saw that one the one in durango which is a 416 or whatever and then um then in bozeman we got to experience that yeah and that was wasn't there. from like one specific one it's just the small ones around there yeah but uh yeah so why have we been in Montana, Ty? Well, for a couple of reasons, but one huge, big reason brought us there. I don't think the other reasons would have happened without <laughs> this one, but uh, the uh, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, TRCP, you may have heard us talk about it before. If you listen a lot, we have talked about it before. And um, I think we actually linked to their website in like most of our episodes, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's in the description. So they're just... Uh, Really cool group of people that invited us out to their media summit last year, which was in uh, Minnesota. And this year, it was in Bozeman, Montana. And we were uh, really excited about that, too. And so uh, we went, and we left out a few days early to do some hunting and fishing. And uh, (laughs) real quick, before I get too far into this story, um, while we're on the Montana idea, uh, we've got a guy on the podcast today that is heading to Montana in the next couple days to do some hunting um a lot of you may know him he's uh, a leader in our hunting community and especially our podcasting community big influence and a really cool guy really well thought um mind and his name is mark Kenyon from wired to hunt so uh really excited to get him on the phone a little bit but um anyway back to our montana story we were um we showed up thursday night we landed about midnight so yeah, right? yeah, yeah, 11.56, I think, is when we touched down. Yeah, in Bozeman. That's and, that's mountain time, too. So Yeah, that was yeah. one where we were at. Mm-hmm. And I believe we didn't actually go to sleep until 2 mountain time. Oh, is that right? It might have been later than that, it, man. Yeah. We drove it, around a lot. So we, we thought, okay, we're going to Bozeman. It's Montana, like public land everywhere. We'll find a place to camp, like, <clears throat> in town nearly, you know. Yeah. And, uh... We had a few issues. Yeah. Just because it's public land or state land there doesn't mean you can technically camp on it. Yeah. Like, each place kind of has its own rules and regulations for overnight camping, which right. I didn't really... I guess we could have researched it and figured it out, but, you know... It's cool to fly by Yeah, where's too. the fun in that, yeah. you know? But so, but we, we did work. find out that you can camp on some, on a lot of state lands there. Yeah, There's, yeah. like, possibilities, which if we'd have known that that night, we wouldn't have driven around for, like two hours you know yeah but we uh, actually ended up uh pretty much going up a road that we had no business being on <laughs> in a minivan for 10 10 minutes or yeah so. oh it yeah. was uh so you know we knew like okay we're just gonna go to the national forest at this yeah, point yeah. you know and, and it was actually further than away than i thought it would be but it was not not too bad so we 
get headed up this road, and it's a National Forest Road. If anybody's ever been on that, uh, they're usually gravel um, or dirt and or dirt. And this one was fine for a little while. Uh, after the pavement ran out, it was gravel, it was smooth. Then all of a sudden, we start gaining a little elevation, and it turns into rut-raging rooster of a road. Mm-hmm. Rock fest. Say that five times Rut-raging fast. rooster rock fest road. <laughs> anyway, it, uh, yeah, we were in a uh, Sedona Sedonia, yeah, and uh, we we were not handling those. I don't know. It was weird. We were like peeling out from the front front wheel drive some on that stuff. It was yeah. kind of like we didn't have enough weight in certain spots. I don't I don't think they're meant to uh, do too much uh, forest road stuff. But anyway, yeah, we <laughs> turned around as soon as we could. We took like a five point turn to get turned around and headed back down the mountain. And eventually. Where did we even sleep that night? <clears throat> we slept uh, on the creek over there in yeah. California National yeah. Forest. Highlight Creek? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we just found a parking lot that had like two other truck campers in it. And uh, we found a way. Luckily, my wife talked me into getting a minivan instead of like a RAV4, which we were looking at getting. Yeah. And uh, it was actually the best call of the whole trip, I think, because we had just enough room to sleep fully stretched out in the back of that minivan. Yeah, and enough room to where we don't, like, touch while we're sleeping. Yeah, which is kind of That's kind of where i got to draw the boundaries, man. Like, yeah. I, I'll share a bed, whatever, but just got to have a little room. Yeah, I don't like feeling another hairy <laughs> arm, you know. It's, uh, yeah. it's definitely weird. Yeah, luckily we're both very, like, uh, I don't know, very, I wouldn't say sound sleepers because you kind of have a hard time, like, waking up or something yeah, but like if, we don't move around or aren't very cuddly at night so it doesn't dude, my, bo- my body just knows yeah that's true my body knows at, like once it's like four sometimes a little bit later a.m like if i it knows that it's getting close to wake up time yeah. and so then that's when i'm not a sound sleeper yeah you know but anyway uh yeah we slept in the back of that thing which I've got an old football injury that uh, is in the middle of my back, and after three days of that, I was ready for a bed. My back, the, the last morning, I was stiff until noon, pretty much. I was like, when I would turn around to look in the back, I and mean, y'all can't see me, but my whole body would basically turn to look in, you know, different directions and stuff, and it's a it's a rough thing to do. But we had sleeping pads, you know, so uh, yours is a lot probably more comfy than mine. Yeah, I think but, mine's better for like any surface kind of thing yeah. you know like yours would be fine for you know the dirt or leaf litter or something but yeah that one i have a little thicker but yeah. it worked out i mean it was uh it was an experience you yeah, know like, sure. it was fun it'll be a fun thing to talk about and we're kind of glad to tell you all about it you know like yeah. we decided that uh like hunting out of a minivan would be pretty sweet oh actually yes yeah we talked about like we need to buy one dude. oh yeah you know i mean this is sweet um and in all honesty, like if uh, I feel like if you could like find a way to put a like I don't know if they I don't know if they make it's somewhere between a probably a twin and a queen, you know. That's a full air mattress. It would be like <laughs> it would be a full probably, but I'm just saying like I don't know if a full is is wide record. enough either. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. to where at that point, if we're both sharing a full, we're probably touching hairy arms, you Ooh. know. So. But it would be cool to have a little air mattress back yeah. there. And if you were a solo hunter, it'd be the dang thing to do, man. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Especially if you could find it in four-wheel drive, which I don't think they make them. But, yeah. man, that would be sweet. Um, so I also uh, wanted to say real quick before we go further in this story, um, another point that I was just thinking of is 
Because we did a lot of public land scouting on our Onyx maps. We this, did during the trip. I literally for a lot spent of reasons. like every moment that we were in the van, and I wasn't like looking at a deer out the window. I was looking at my map on my phone yeah. the whole time we were there. Yeah, it was like one of the most essential pieces of equipment that we had yeah. on this trip. We used we used the mess out of it, and we have a giveaway for two Onyx premium memberships that is happening on this episode. But we're going to do it at the end. Ooh-ooh. So you got to listen all the way through. That's right. Uh, but we're going to give those away at the end, so make sure you listen through uh, the rest of this and Mark's part because Mark has some really cool things to say as well. But we ended up uh, finally getting to bed with uh, TRCP. You know, gave us a place to sleep once they got there. And, and uh, we had a great event, man. It was uh, the, the highlights of that event. The, the key issues that surrounded that event were CWD, chronic wasting disease, um, which are the same thing. And uh, public access was another big issue. What was the last one? Uh, I think it was like uh, that lease allotments for like migration corridors and that yes. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we talked about a lot of stuff in those. Yeah, it was ones. actually a lot more involved in there, but there was three big components that we yeah. were supposed to talk about. And CWD was. You know, as you can imagine, if you know much about it, probably the most fiery uh, issue there. Um, if you watched our video on Facebook, we did a live video during part of one of our CWD panels, and it, we all got fired. You <laughs> got fired up for sure, <laughs> and uh, really, there's a, a large, um, uh, I guess, advocacy or uh, a large side of people who are with us on it. You know, so yeah. that's. Very neat for sure to see, and uh, and uh, we man, I just I love going there because there's so many. It's interesting because there's so many like-minded people there, um, and it. But at the same time, like very much differently affiliated. With, if you were to look at the two-party system in the United States of America, you know, uh-huh. like um, so. But it's but all kind of have a common cause, and what I love about the TRCP is it's this environment group that is a partnership really that doesn't exist without partners but that it I mean the whole time we talked about hunting and fishing yeah there was like during this summit there was really never even any pollinator talk or anything like that and we had some of that last time last year but like it was every single thing was how does this relate to hunting or fishing hunters and fishermen and um, I love that. And all the people at TRCP, they hunt and they fish. They get outdoors. They do things that are uh, a bit consumptive sometimes, you know, like, and that's a, that's a big thing for me. And so I feel like we really are. It's not that, like, one person in there is, like, looking to do this just because they want to go bird watching. Like, they want to go find some organic meat, you know, mm-hmm. it's in one way or another, a lot of them. So pretty much all of them. So that's one of my favorite things about that partnership, that group, that organization, and those people are just, the people there, we talked about it, man. Yeah. They're, just, they're just cool. We all of live them. in such a polarized world of two parties, and it's, both sides do it. They try to make the other side seem like, like the devil, right? Yeah. And it's not really the case, man. The lines are a lot more blurred than what a lot of us realize, and then, and quite honestly, what a lot of, like, people we're close to and talk to even at this event realize you know you'll talk to someone and say oh i'm far this direction 
well, then they start talking and you get start conversating with them and you, and then you're like, ah, that's not really how it works. You know, like you have opinions about matters and then sometimes that opinion, uh, you know, or that viewpoint lines up with one political party. Well, right. you might line up with a different political party on the next thing. Right. You know, and I just feel like, man, kind of the broader message is that, and I didn't mean for this to be a big spill about politics, but if it's like, if you just don't affiliate with a party and just believe what you believe, I think you can make much more well-educated decisions and well-grounded decisions, you know? Like, yeah. it's... I, how horrible is it to say, well, I'm just going to stick with this group of people because I know they know what's right for me, and, uh-huh. and I, I can examine the facts, you right. know? I really, you know, I really can't ever see there being a third party, but, like, there, it does feel like there's a movement towards this, like, this kind of free thinker that, like, can have beliefs that you know may side with the majority of one party yeah. but you know like and i feel like that that will like i said it may never be that there's a third party but that that will um ultimately turn into a candidate that matches up with those yeah, people exactly it can you shape and mold the current parties exactly you know yeah and they so. i think that man the current parties need to understand that we Maybe we need to do something about this. But I'm not going to stand for them telling me what I need to be passionate about and what I need to think. Right. You know, because that's not how it works. I know what I need to think, and you need to connect with your constituency. That's what needs to happen. Yep. 100% agreed, man. And, I mean, we can, obviously, this could be an entire podcast. (laughs) You know, we could go on and on. No kidding. But, anyway, we had, so the event was awesome. Great food, great people. And, uh Man, really just a, a whole gamut of different people from across the entire U.S. But uh, we all got to go uh, on a float trip. Um, was that yesterday? My goodness, it, it was so yesterday. Yes. Um, so yesterday we got to go on a, a float trip. And I have been on some trout trips where we floated, I guess you could say. Like we used boats and they had motors on them so it wasn't really floating it was like run up to the dam and then float down a few hundred yards or in in one case i floated lake tanicomo in missouri and it's basically it's a big tailwater that's flat and uh you know you use a more of like your your fiberglass looking kind of john boat thing and it's just different than what what the float trips are up in Montana. You know what I'm saying? A lot more rugged water, different pools and stretches and all that. And then the boats are, you know, a different, different whole different you know, look to them and everything. It was just like the classic thing that I've always grown up reading about and seeing pictures of in magazines and that kind of thing. And, and uh, it was so cool, man. We got to float the Yellowstone. Were, the, were we the only people who float, didn't float the Madison? I think so. I never talked to another person at our event, at least, that yeah. floated the Yellowstone that day. Me, I didn't talk to anybody who didn't float the Madison. And so, you know, we, we told our guide, we were like, look, we want to catch big fish or nothing, kind of. Yeah. You know, like, we went out Thursday and Friday and caught a bunch of fish. Uh, we fished the Madison and caught quite a few fish in that 8 to 10, maybe a few 11s. You know, and then you hooked a really good fish that you lost, um, mm-hmm. and that's on. They're going to be on a film, hopefully, to be released released soon. But um, you know, we caught a lot of small fish, so we were like, you know, this is our chance to be up here in Montana and catch a slob. You know, so we told the guy that, and I guess for that reason, he might have taken us to Yellowstone. 
Yellowstone River. But man, it was awesome. The river was super clear and just kind of aqua blue, deep runs here and there, and these wicked eddies. And we took a couple of rapids that were like let water come into the boat, you know, and everything. It was like, it was a cool little half day adventure, man. And uh, we ended up not catching a ton, but uh, I caught early on in the trip, I missed a toad early on. And, uh, and then, you know, probably 30, 45 minutes later, I hooked into a really big brown. And the guy said, the guy said he was 19. So um, I didn't ever get an actual look at him, but I think he's ever been a 19, you know. What's crazy is those browns, um, they're, they're more girthy at 19 oh inches. Gosh, you know, dude. like rainbow, like a 19-inch rainbow and a 19-inch brown are different fish. You mm-hmm. know, like a 19-inch, don't get me wrong, they're both good fish, but like, 19 inch brown's a big fish. I mean, this is this is a fish you could weigh in the pounds. Right. You know, like probably a four or five pound fish, yeah. I would say. Yeah, I would yeah, I'd say four pounds, you know, yeah. for sure. And and uh man, it was it was awesome. Like I was telling KC last night, I was so exhausted and I was telling him this and I was like, <laughs> dude, it was like you try to grab this dude, you know, you grab all these rainbows and they're like just <laughs> muscled up, you know, ready to jump out of your hand and then jump out of the water six foot and everything else and you get this brown that's like mush i mean like but he still has shoulders on top you know but like his belly is he's just been sitting down there eating everything in the water you know and man it was kind of crazy how much his stomach you know like i almost felt like he doesn't look as big as he was because i'm having to hold him you know obviously by his stomach or whatever but i got some cool pictures we'll post those up pretty soon and uh so be looking for that on instagram facebook um KC took some really great shots and then I caught I also caught a Yellowstone cutthroat that was pretty That's colored cool fish. up really cool fish I don't know maybe 13 inches or so and uh, which I've caught one I caught one in July for the first time but um, this one was a lot bigger and a lot prettier and so anyway uh, right after that we were getting close to takeout and KC ended up pulling out the 11th hour rainbow I couldn't believe that, that was man. like a solid 16 yeah. inch I think we said yeah, that's right, yeah. cut bow. Yeah, yeah, actually, I said that when he's coming in. I was like, man, kind of looks like a cut or yeah. a cut bow, you know. And uh, you're like, yep, he's got them stripes underneath the, him. Had the orange under his chin, but this fish, yeah. uh, a, a look, I mean, what, were we like 75 yards from the bridge? I'm about that, yeah. Yeah, and I'm casting this, like, hop. I can't remember if it was a hopper or what it was. It was a parahopper. A parahopper, that's right. Yeah, and a little cut bow comes up and tries to eat it and misses it and sinks it and then i leave it in the water and like probably three foot of drift later that big fish hammers it on the water like oh man so sick yeah and that was like i kind of struggled most of the day man that that float trip stuff's a different deal Mm -hmm. yeah i feel pretty confident wade fishing and feel like i can i can have success most places and and that was tough line management was a big deal for me yeah i had a hard time with that but uh I was glad to finally pull that one out right there at the end of the day. It was, oh, yeah. it was fun. Man, it was it was a cool trip, and we saw a ton of deer, so that was exciting, you know, and and had a great time overall. We got to fly back this morning, so we're on the road headed home, and uh, you know, speaking of deer, we got a guy who's uh, going to be hunting a lot of them in the next few months, Mark Kenyon, so uh, I think we should get him on the phone. Sounds good. All right, so on the phone, we have Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt. How's the summer going, man? Hey, it's uh, it's going pretty well. It's it's been a whirlwind. I can't believe that the summer is already done. I feel like I just blinked, and all of a sudden it went from April to 
now almost September, but uh, it was packed with lots of fun stuff, so I guess I can't complain at all. Yeah, man, I feel the same way. I got to uh, go to Yellowstone for the first time this summer about a month ago and Mm -hmm. uh, was just up there again this week, so it's like that's a long ways from from home for us, so um, I I totally understand, man. It's uh, been a whirlwind, and it's exciting, though, that uh, though it seems like it was a short time, like now hunting season's here and, uh, and we're ready you know and hopefully that won't feel like a short time if you know what i mean yeah yeah you want it to uh to stretch out and enjoy it as much as possible but yeah. uh the relentless uh whirlwind of life just seems to <laughs> make things go faster and faster it but does. I, I was actually out there around yellowstone for about a month this summer so uh same as you cool. incredible trip but but having that big chunk of time away from home definitely does make it seem like all of a sudden you get back and you have no time to get a thousand projects done that you need to get done. So <laughs> yeah. the last week I've just been running around like a chicken with my head cut off <laughs> trying to get ready for hunting season. But, um, but, I, but, you know, can't, can't complain at all because that time out there in the summer is, is much needed rest and relaxation mm-hmm. kind of reset time. So Absolutely. it all works out. Yeah, man. And we, we have, that's, that's the, those are the like core reasons that we, tend to go to the Rockies in the summer but then also the fact that it's like 100 degrees down here it's it gets so old you know we're just like man this is uh it is time to go find some it was actually let's see it was 98 at home one day when we were up in Bozeman and it was 52 as a high up there so it was like almost half this temperature you know it's it's amazing it actually feels like the rut or something back home like you know we should be hunting outside so yeah i totally get yeah it. it is it's a nice dry even when it is hot out there in montana or somewhere it's it's like a dry heat it's not humid which yes. which i don't know what it's like down by you guys but up by me here in michigan in the summer it's just like you're swimming in the humidity oh yeah it's so oh sticky. yeah it's the same thing here in man it's it's so nice and dry in, in montana that like my lips just crack open and it hurts <laughs> the whole time i'm there yeah. just you know when you're so used to that humidity i guess it just your skin conditions to it as well and you're just you know, it's just a complete change but i'll trade dry and cool for hot and humid any day of the week no <laughs> yeah. yeah no kidding so sign me up okay here's a, just something that popped into my mind you um yeah, you know, like when you're traveling around, you're spending money, obviously, and and hopefully, you know, like we try to camp and do stuff like that to where it's not as bad. Uh, you save on that hotel cost and these kind of things, and split gas with your friends and stuff. But, um, you know, like I feel here's personally, I feel like this. I was gonna see if you had the same uh, feelings, but like when I go and do that, and then I get home, it's like, oh, there's all this junk that I have to spend money on for whitetail season as well, and then like it feels like I just spent money all summer. I don't know if that's the case for you. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I, I, I probably should do a better job of my budget so I can tell you exactly <laughs> what it is. But um, but I guess I don't do a good job quantifying it. But, I, you know, I tend to not feel too bad about travel expenses mm-hmm. because in, in my – I guess the way I prioritize things in my life is that I prioritize experiences over stuff. So I've never bought a TV <clears throat> Like, I, I'm not the guy that has, like, a big, fancy, big-screen TV or anything. Like literally, I'm using the big-screen TV that my parents bought in, like, 2005 or something like that. That Then they got all these other TVs and eventually said, well, you can have that old junkie thing if you want. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've got, like, an old TV. I've got 
you know, just different things like that. I'm not buying big fancy things. I don't have a big fancy boat. I don't have a big fancy house. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dispendable income, I feel okay about using it for gas and for a couple nights out getting a nice dinner in Bozeman or whatever, because I know that I'm not blowing it on, on other things. Um, so, you know, when we do these trial, these trips, whether it be trips for hunting, which I do a lot of, or, you know, as I alluded to earlier, we spend the last four or five years now, we spent you know, two to three months living out West and we're doing that now just camping the entire time. So spending a couple months living in a camper for free on national forest land, or maybe in like a fish and game campground where it's, you know, 10, 12 bucks a night. So it's, it's really cheap compared to quote unquote vacationing, um, that most people might do in a hotel or renting a house or something like that. So, you know, keep it simple. Um, at least do the things that myself, when I'm out there with a family that my wife enjoys too, it's, it's more so just spending time in the outdoors, uh, which is, which is free and available to all of us thanks to, you know, public land. So yeah, that kind of stuff I don't feel too bad about. Um, my whitetail expenses, you know, you have to get some gear, you have to get some things like that. That stuff does add up a little bit, but again, um, it's one of those things that I'm okay spending a little extra time on because, or money on, because it, it, it is one of those top couple things in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I make it work. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I get that train of thought for sure. Um, so when I, I don't know exactly how to form formulate this question, but kind of, uh, let's see, you know, outside, if you're an outsider, as far as the hunting industry goes, so say you're just a regular Joe, um, you don't have some brand to withhold some product <clears throat> to market, or make money off of within the hunting industry. Um, how easy is it to be a 365 whitetailer? So you're, I mean, if you're just a dude or guy or girl that loves whitetail deer hunting, it's super easy to be a 365 day deer hunter because there's so much to do. Um, there's something you can be doing at any time of year related to chasing deer that, um, that a, it's a great way to spend your time for a relatively low amount of money. If we're talking costs, you don't need to spend a ton of money to do this kind of stuff. B anything you're doing outside of the hunting season is definitely going to help you throughout the rest of the year. Um, and, and third, it's just a whole lot of fun. I mean, one of the things I love about deer hunting and it's, and it's funny I, you know, have got to dabble with different types of hunts. You know, I've gone elk hunting now the last five or so years. I've gone caribou hunting, black bear hunting, antelope hunting, turkey hunting, of course, all that kind of stuff. And I'm intrigued by all these different things, and I, you know, I get excited about them. And every, you know, maybe it's like February or March. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so fired up for elk hunting. I'm going to make this trip happen. But every year when it gets to be like August and September, even though I've got like an elk hunt coming up and some years I've got other western hunts, I'm just so darn obsessed with whitetails. I can't think about anything else. Yep. Like I, I, don't, I can't even think about prepping for elk at all because all I can think about is what tree stand <laughs> I want to hang or where I got to have a camera or what I want to do on opening night. Um, so, so yeah, I'm thinking about it almost every day. Every night for the last like two weeks, my wife's fallen asleep and I've pulled up my cell phone. I've been looking at maps, watching hunting videos on my phone yep. up till midnight every night. Um, so it's, it's an affliction. Oh, yeah. Um, but... But there certainly is something at all times of year to keep you busy. So in the winter, you can be doing a lot of scouting. You can be planning some of these things. You can be scouting in your maps, walking your properties. Once you transition, you know, 
a little bit later in the spring. I'm a huge shed hunting fanatic, so I love hiking around looking for antlers. Of course, that's a great time to scout too. And then, you know, once you get into early summer and summer, if you've got a place where you could do a little bit of management, of course, all sorts of habitat projects you can work on. If you don't, that's still a great time to be out there scouting for deer, glassing fields, hanging trail cameras, trimming lanes, hanging your stands. Um, literally, you could have no other hobbies in the world, and you could fill all of your free time just with deer. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I always tell my wife that um, it could be a lot worse. At least I'm not uh, going out to the bar all the time or yeah. a gambling addict or something. <laughs> if, uh, if I had to be obsessed with something, this is a pretty wholesome way to do it. <laughs> For sure, man. Yeah, so do you ever find that um, you are relieved, like whenever, say, I don't know, uh, that time right after maybe shed hunting's over or, you know, it's kind of green up and it's hard to find them and maybe you've already killed your turkey for the year and there's just like that little gap in your like 365 hunting life to where you can stop and breathe. Is that a good thing for you or are you just filled with anticipation for it to start all over again? You know, I will say there are there are usually two chunks of time during my year where I do kind of let myself lose focus a little bit, and that would be immediately after hunting season. So usually my hunting season ends at the end of December. So usually like January into early February, at least January maybe, um, I kind of I let myself just not think about stuff. I kind of need a breather from whitetails. I need to just reset. So that's one of those times. And then the time you just mentioned, like usually maybe June into early July, somewhere in there is usually when I'm taking off out West and I'm really thinking about fly fishing Mm -hmm. or climbing up mountains or backpacking or something like that. Those are some of my other passions too. So that's a time of year where I, you know, I do like a little break like that. It's Mm -hmm. nice to go do some other things, a little change of scenery, but inevitably it ends up pulling me back out. You know, like you guys were just talking about being out in the Yellowstone river in that area, I'll be out there camping, hiking, fishing. And then one night I'm driving back to a campground and I pass an alfalfa field and there's 60 deer in there and a bunch of bucks. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh man, I need to be scouting these fields. And then the next seven nights I'm sitting over being for an alfalfa field with a camera trying to watch deer. So it, yep. it always sneaks up on me and uh, sticks its hooks right back into my heart. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> every day, Mark, every day we drove around, saw whitetails everywhere and i'm on my maps constantly trying to figure out where the closest public land is to that spot it doesn't matter how far away you get away from home when you've got you know a great mapping system you know like on x is what we use you know something that'll just show you where you can hunt no matter what it's like it's fun to dream about that you know even if maybe you not might not hunt there this season or whatever but do you think that um you talked about how like right after deer season you kind of slack up for just a, a bit and kind of catch your breath is that uh, pretty dependent on how that season went for you or is that is it kind of always that way you know i'd say it, it's always been that way for me or at least the last 10 years yeah um when i've been you know since college i've been out of college about 10 years now or so so since then um i'd say most seasons i'm, I'm pretty burnt out like i go i go really hard for four months mm-hmm. um so I, I usually i'm just in need of that break although i probably shouldn't i probably should because that's that's a really really good time to be scouting yes um all that 
immediate postseason sign you can see, but you don't need to care at all about spooking deer. I'm probably making a mistake. I really <laughs> should be out there scouting and doing some stuff, but I've just kind of found for my mental health, I just need to check out just a little bit. And not to mention for my relationship health. Um, yeah, usually, for sure. usually I need to make some serious amends with the wife by then. So um, <laughs> to, to keep that thing alive, I guess uh, that month off is okay. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I wouldn't say that my wife and I have an ebb and flow in the quality of our relationship, but there's definitely an ebb and flow in just how satisfied she is with the time I spend with her, you know, between yeah. the summer months yeah. and the winter months, you know, just because, exactly. man, deer season uh, – you know how it is. It's it's getting you know you're in the stand till after dark and you're not getting home till eight or nine or you know down here might be after ten in the earlier seasons you know because we yeah. have longer days. But yeah, it, it can definitely put a burden on that. What's your best tip for? I mean, all, all three of us kind of are kind of at the same points in our lives where we're young and married and and figuring this whole life thing out. You know, what's your best tip for? Um, I guess keeping you know a a good marriage and being a good spouse throughout the hunting season yeah you know it's something that is one of my top challenges that every year i'm I'm really trying to work on and trying to do a better job of that because you know i have an unbelievably understanding wife who's willing to put up with that but i know it's it's not easy on her and i probably don't even realize as much as it is so the things i try to do to to I guess, make the best of it or make, make it as least inconvenient as possible is that, you know, of course in the off season, I'm trying to prioritize her as much as possible, trying to make sure the things that she needs help with or the things around the house or whatever it might be that, that I might not be able to do as much of in the fall, make sure that's taken care of ahead of time mm-hmm. during, during the season. Um, I try to find, you know, a weekend here or there, maybe that I can not hunt and set that aside as like a, you know, and it, it might be a little different this year because we've got a baby now, but in the past mm-hmm. it was kind of like a us weekend. So we'd go and try go somewhere for a short weekend trip or I'd stay home for the weekend and plan something out with her. Um, I'm sure we'll still do something like that, but it, it'll be more of like, a, I guess, a family of, of three kind of event instead of yeah. like a date type of thing. Yeah, sure. But that, that helps a lot. And then, you know, the other thing, to your point a second ago, you talked about how you get home so late at night a lot of times. Um, you're spending a lot of time in the tree. What I have found that I do that's that's a mistake is that I, even when I get home from hunting or when I'm home during the day maybe and then I'm going to head out for an evening sit or whatever it might be, I have found that I'm not mentally present. So my wife has called me out on this because mm-hmm. I one year I stayed home. I didn't travel at all to hunt during the rut. I stayed home for like two weeks or whatever it was during the whitetail rut and hunted close to home. So I was home at night. I was home, uh, well... I guess I really wasn't home most days in the middle of the day, but I was home at night at least. And I thought that was a good thing. I thought, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm home in the evenings. Um, this couldn't be that bad. And she kind of called me out and said, yeah, you're physically there, but you're, you're not there at all. Mentally your, your body's here, but your mind is elsewhere. You're thinking about stuff. You're planning stuff. You're messing around on your phone. You're fiddling with this gear or that gear. Um, so what I've, what I'm trying to do a better job of now is to not just be there physically when you are home and around during hunting season, but be there mentally, like mm-hmm. really be present in the moment with your kids or your wife and make that quality time because you're not going to have as much time there together. So make sure that when you are there, that you're not checking text messages or looking at trail camera pictures or talking to your buddies on the phone or sitting there 
daydreaming about where you need to hang your stand the next day. <laughs> yeah. Try to set all that stuff aside and, uh, and really focus on your relationships. That's, that's something I'm not saying I'm the best at that all the time, but it's something that I'm trying to get better at. Yeah. Definitely yeah. going to be focusing on this year. Yeah. That's a good point, man. The middle, the mental thing is a, is a big deal for me. Cause I just, I love looking at maps and I'll be sitting in bed looking at a map. My wife's trying to talk to me and I'm just mm-hmm. not the greatest at that. You know, it just, yeah. it's almost an addiction of mine. Like it's almost, I am fulfilled by that as much as I am for actually hunting the animal, you know? So, yeah. but, um, and you're talking to a guy here who got married November 19th, which I don't know <laughs> oh, how geez. on earth she ever talked me into that. I really do love her. Uh, it's, it's, wow. it's really a good testament, I suppose, to our, our love for each other. But I tell her, <laughs> Uh, I, and this is, you know, I'm kind of leading into the question I want to ask you about this, but I tell her that, like, okay, you get the 19th every year. No matter what, I'm going to be there the whole day for her anniversary. So, but I kind of prefaced that before we were married. But at the same time, I feel like as hunters and as passionate, especially for whitetail as what we all are, like, um, we're constantly growing and, and trying to do more and be just more enveloped in this chase for the you know animals that we love. So throughout our marriage, you know, even though she knew I was a hunter, I don't know if she ever knew that how much she was biting off. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> did uh, did your wife you know kind of know what she was getting into, or have y'all had to kind of grow into that and and you know both be understanding in the situation? Yeah, you know, she knew she was you know, getting into a little bit of a situation, like a, like a, a pretty serious hunter. You know, when she first started dating me, she knew that I was a big deer hunter and, you know, I was gone on the weekends and stuff, um, off chasing deer and whatnot. But I'd say, you know, well, yeah, within like a year of us dating, I graduated college. And then I was, you know, she, she kind of saw, okay, yeah, this is more than just like a weekend hobby. This is a lot of the time. By the time we were married, she definitely knew that this was a big deal. But it definitely has grown more and more because not only am I just chasing whitetails. Like for a while there, I was just chasing whitetails from October through December. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started going out west and hunting elk and whitetails in the early season that are opening in September. So now I've added a whole other month. So now September is off the table. Um <laughs> So, so yeah, you know, she, she knew a little bit, but it definitely has evolved. Um, and kind of funny, you mentioned your November 19th wedding. I got, I, we specifically tried to make sure that I was getting, we were getting married outside of the main months of hunting season. So we got married, um, Oh, this is bad. I think it was September 8th. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. Oh, this is a it's bad confession se- right here. <laughs> yeah, it's se- uh, it's, I'm, pretty, I'm 99% sure it's 8th, possibly okay. the 7th. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Um, but, but the thing is that uh, that next, that well, two weeks after I got married, I went on my first elk hunt. And ever since then, I was like, oh, wow, I'm never not going to hunt elk again. <laughs> and then uh, two years later, I went on my first western whitetail hunt. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm never not going to go out here and hunt whitetails in September. So now for the last like three years, I've been out hunting and missed our anniversary. And I'm doing it again this oh, coming week. Oh, man. Um, and she's she's been okay with that. She's a so, jewel, uh, man. That's so she, awesome. <laughs> she really is. Yeah. So, yep, my, my anniversary is usually spend the tree stand while my wife's 2,000 miles away. And uh, <laughs> God God bless her. She's uh, the one and only that could handle me. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. I kind of set a good precedent on the elk hunting thing. Um, I went, and I haven't killed a lot of elk, but I killed a bull, uh, you know, two months before we got married. So for the whole first year of our marriage, 
we ate elk meat. So now my wife's like, yeah, go. You need to go elk hunting yeah. because we need that meat. That's what I want to yes. eat, you know. So it, it worked out kind of well for me on that deal. Yep, that's that's a great way to to get away with those elk hunts. Is once they get a taste of that, it's hard to say no. You always want that in the freezer. <laughs> that's no doubt. Right. So you know, speaking of uh, kind of how your how your season has expanded over the years, what what does your schedule look like this year? Oh man, um, it's it's a little bit of a crazy one this year. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm leaving in two days for Montana, and I'll be chasing whitetails up there. And I've got about 10 days budgeted. And if I fill my tag in Montana before that time frame is done, I've got another spot I've scouted out in North Dakota just across the border that I'm going to head over to. So in a perfect world, I hunt Montana for a handful of days, kill a buck, head over to North Dakota, hunt there for a few more days, then head home for about a week. And then I'm going to head back to Montana after that week at home and go elk hunting. That'll be about a week-long trip. And then I'll come back home and then focus hunting in Michigan. I've got three main parts of the state where I hunt here in, in Michigan. Um, the Southern Michigan kind of core spots that I hunt the most. And then I just got permission on a big new property on the west side of the state that I'll spend some time on. And then my family has a little 40-acre deer camp up in the northern part of the state. So there in the early season, I'll kind of bounce around between those three spots. And then mid-October... I'm planning on heading to Minnesota and doing a canoe-in backcountry whitetail hunt in the Boundary Waters. Oh, man, that's going to be sweet. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. And that'll be a week, and then I'll come back for a few days and then head to central Nebraska with a friend to do um, some hunting out there. And then I'll come back, focus then in my main Michigan spot where I've got this this one buck I've been hunting for a handful of years gonna spend like seven ten days straight trying to get him killed hopefully that'll work out and then i've got a hunt with uh ranella and the meat eater crew at my west michigan property and then it'll be up north for a bit and then in december um a late season hunt possibly in wisconsin and then in mexico it looks like i'm or sorry in january it looks like i'm gonna go into mexico for a coos deer hunt cool oh my goodness that'll be cool that's yeah. uh quite a schedule man <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's it's gonna be interesting how it all works out, and I'm I'm trying to, you know, fortunately a decent amount of that stuff's in Michigan, so I'm hoping to be able to get some quality family time in there. But there's there's a handful of trips there that'll take me away, and I I, I love traveling. I love traveling to hunt, but with a new baby, I can already tell it's it's gonna be different. The times I've had have had to leave so far, I'm just missing like crazy, and already I'm kind of looking into the next couple of days and, and thinking, man, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave my little buddy. So yep. that's going to be a little tough. Yeah. That's a tough thing, man, for sure. I've dealt with that some and, and, uh, I don't know. I feel like once you're out there, especially if there's somebody with you, you know, it's, it's a little easier to pass the time, but if you're kind of on a solo deal or something where you have more time to kind of meditate on the fact of what's going on back home and in your life and that kind of thing, it, it can, it can start to bother you pretty good, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what are you after imagine. when you're traveling to hunt? I mean, you know, for a lot of guys, they see these, these price tags of the, of the tags that you have to buy out of state as a non-resident and, and it's kind of, uh, either intimidating or off-putting or just not something that they desire. And I feel like maybe that the digital revolution and all this information that we have these days, um, 
kind of creates like a lust, maybe in a bad way sometimes, for traveling to hunt, um, whether that be like Iowa for the biggest deer on the planet or, um, you know, just uh, for, I guess, you know, social purposes to kind of build up who you are as a person uh, in the friends of your peers, I guess. And I know that there's more pure reasons, and I'm sure that you have some, but why do you, why do you travel? You know, I... And this is this applies both to my hunting travel and my non-hunting travel, but I just crave new experiences. I, I love adventure. I love the unknown. I love seeing new places, figuring out new places, exploring new places. Um, so, you know, as I talked about earlier, we do a ton of traveling in the spring and summer, my wife and I, hiking, fishing, camping, whatever. Um and during the hunting season, I like to do the same kind of thing. So I have that same kind of wanderlust as a hunter. So, you know, I'm traveling Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, you know, all these different hunts. Most of what I'm looking for is just an experience, like a fun new set of experiences that's different than what I'm used to, that provides a new challenge. I, I really, a big part of what, I, what I'm doing here too is, is trying to push myself to grow as a hunter to, to figure new things out, to experience these things. So, you know, when I go to Montana or North Dakota, there's this challenge of finding new public land, finding these new spots, living out of the back of my truck. That's a solo trip. So just kind of doing my own thing for a week. Um, but it's, it's, it's a really cool, different kind of experience because there's really high deer numbers compared to where I hunt here at home. You see a lot more mature bucks. Um, it's just really cool from like a wildlife observation kind of standpoint. You're just seeing incredible numbers of animals and that's a lot of fun. Um, plus it's just beautiful country. so different than what I hunt here in Michigan, just big wide open spaces. So that's, that's a unique, really cool experience in itself. Uh, I'm not going out there trying to kill, you know, some kind of size deer or some antler score or anything like that. I'm not trying to do something that's going to impress anyone, but it's, it's a unique, different experience that excites me. Um, when I go to Minnesota, that's going to be the kind of trip where any deer, if I even see a deer, I'll probably be counting that as success. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a really interesting new challenge because I got to put everything I need to survive in a canoe, paddle way out in this wilderness where you can't have any motorized boats, you can't have any vehicles, can't have anything like that. You are just everything that you need has got to be in that canoe with you. And in the North woods, in the late fall, it could be a, a blizzard, it could be swelteringly hot, um, and it's big woods, gnarly, thick terrain where it's really, really hard to find deer. So I might not, not see anything, or I might see a spike. And so for me, that's an adventure, though, that I want to experience. I want to see that place. I want to feel that place. I want to get to know that place and also experience that challenge of trying to find a deer there. So if I can kill a spike and then get that deer out of the wilderness can i get that in the canoe with all my gear paddle that sucker out of there without tipping over <laughs> and uh, getting pneumonia um <laughs> that would be that would be an, an adventuring experience that i know i'm going to find really valuable and exciting um and then so on and so forth through all the other things i've got coming up um i get what you're saying there definitely is like especially now with with how much social media we see we see all these other people taking all these trips it's it's easy to kind of get that kind of grass greener on the other side or facebook envy or whatever and, and feel like you need to be doing this stuff or if you want to get a big buck you got to hunt in iowa like mark Drury or whatever mm -hmm. um it doesn't need to be about that i sure. think there's something really cool about just exploration i think we as 
humans in general crave that that seeing what's over the next hill kind of is just kind of built into us yeah and um i'm able to kind of scratch that itch with these trips and uh, try to do it in a productive fashion and not neglect all my other obligations too much along the way yeah yeah and this is one thing i really appreciate about you and i think a lot of people that connect with you connect for this reason but it's like it feels like every time you have a thought about something it's that you've thought about it it's not just something that's coming off the cuff it's not something that is uh some like emotional thing just blabbering out of your mouth all of a sudden you know it's it's like you and I don't know I, I would guess that this comes from a lot of time on the stand being able to kind of reflect <laughs> yeah. and think about things you know um, yeah. but I, I really do appreciate that. And, and, um, you know, I, you Thanks. kind of spoke to this earlier, but, um, you know, you're talking about the big, the big picture of exploration and experience, but, uh, and you, you did speak to this, but, you know, I think experience can be broken down, um, into smaller moments, like short moments of the hunt sometimes. And so like, for instance, we're, we're floating the Yellowstone river a couple days ago and, um, I just had this weird moment where we're floating down the river and, we're, and I'm super focused on every little pool and eddy and, you know, seam and everything. And I'm trying to hit all the spots. And then all of a sudden, like, I don't know if I had like caught a fish or something, but I had like a brief moment where I wasn't focused in on that stuff. And I kind of looked back behind me and there was fresh snow on the mountains in August behind me. I'm floating down the Yellowstone and I'm like, I literally just smiled in the back of the boat. I know nobody even saw me, you know, (laughs) but I just had this, it's weird. Um, but I had this moment where I'm like, I've been reading about things like this snow in August and, you know, expeditions down the Yellowstone to try to catch a big trout and, and all the importance of the Yellowstone river in general. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting here floating down this thing right now. That is cool, you know, and that was one of those tiny moments or the moment where, like you said, when you go to Minnesota, you're looking for any deer, man. It's not about shooting a big buck at that point or a mature buck at that point. It's it's about um, that short moment that satisfies you personally, you know, like if it's if you're proud to shoot a doe and it comes in, you know, that's great. Or like in the case of KC last year. he had a we had a deer that he would have never shot from the stand probably on a piece of property come in to uh, rattling which was like doesn't happen very often where we're at and uh, we were on the ground and he comes blasting in there at like twenty yards and he was about to shoot him until he ran <laughs> off you know he saw us but it's kind of one of those things where like that experience that little experience almost changed what your expectations were and what you thought you would get out of it suddenly but it would but in the end if the result would have come out that he shot that deer it would have been personally satisfying i feel like you know you kind of get what i'm saying do you feel that that way sometimes i definitely definitely do and something you mentioned there is something that i always try to make sure that i do as well and that's just taking a moment to appreciate those moments because it's so easy for us as hunters i think or whatever you're doing whether it's fishing or hunting or whatever especially maybe it's a personality type too but i am very achievement focused and goal oriented especially when it comes to things like my hunting so i can yeah i pour so much time and energy and work into these things that i can get consumed in it and just be focused on what that actual end goal is but i try to make a point to to catch myself where i like step out of the moment Mm -hmm. and kind of look at it from like a thirty thousand foot overview 
And I just, so just like you said, while you're fishing there, I'll find myself sitting in the tree stand. I'm stressing out about the fact that the wind's not quite right. And was my <laughs> access route in this morning just as good as I wanted? And man, it's 8.30 already and I haven't seen anything yet. And it's November 7th and the rut's been horrible. And I'm <laughs> so tired and I haven't eaten good all day. And my wife's mad at me and I'll be sitting there and all this stuff's going right through my head. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, just hold on breathe in that air like how crisp and mm-hmm. clean is that air and how beautiful is that blue sky right now with the red and orange and yellow uh, leaves you know silhouetted against it and there's you know three does walking out in front of you like just enjoy that like so i, I try I, I try to do this as often as i can to stop to kind of press pause on life and then just look at everything like soak it in like really i'll try to like taste the air i'll try to like mm-hmm listen to every little sound i'll try to look all around me and just try to almost take like a mental photograph and like enjoy that little tiny moment just be appreciative of like how great this second is mm-hmm. um so sometimes i get too wrapped up in things but i try to do that kind of thing often sure and um that that helps out a lot i think that's yeah. an important thing to do so you know being a goal-oriented person like you're your travels and going and doing all these, you know, exciting new hunts, is that an opportunity for you to set and reach new goals? Or is it an opportunity for you to, like, escape that goal-oriented person that you normally are? Eh, you know, it, it usually ends up being still goal-focused. Yeah. Um, but but it's, like, it's a, it's a fun way of doing that. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, the Minnesota trip's a great example. That's something that is there will there will be a goal it's going to be a big challenge like most everything i do is is related to some kind of challenge something new that i'm going to have to push myself to try to figure out or see if i can see how i can handle this set of experiences or challenges or circumstances so with a minnesota trip it's going to be an escape from the usual kind of whitetail hunt i'm not going to be stressing out about a mature buck i'm not going to be trying to pattern some specific deer so it's going to be an escape from the usual but it's still going to be a, a really interesting challenge. I mean, it's going to be a tough hunt. It's going to be just a f- tough physical um, endeavor, getting in there, getting out of there, handling the elements, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, most all my trips, they're, they're usually as a focus. There's a, a challenge element to it, but then also like an experience element. So yeah. like the Western whitetail hunts, I'm going, yes, because it's a different challenge, but also that's just one of those like, landscapes i love to be in that does help me kind of step outside of the usual um so i guess it's a combination of both but inevitably i do find myself at least with the hunts um i always do have some kind of goal in mind so i set some kind of goal and i'm always pushing myself towards whatever that might be so minnesota the goal is going to be survive and uh get a crack in <laughs> that's a good goal yeah. surviving yeah. is probably <laughs> being goal goal oriented when survival is you know the goal that's probably a good time to have that drive <laughs> yes. yes um so so that's the case in minnesota but like the montana trip it's going to be i really like to get a crack at a four-year-old buck i know it's possible out there I haven't done it yet but i know there's some great four-year-olds running around up there and you know, trying to find a good piece of public land that I can get into without other people mucking it up. So that's going to be a fun challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like the Michigan hunts, you know, I'm definitely a different, you know, my, a three-year-old might be really good some places. The four-year-old, it's, it's all different. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's an age thing. Sometimes it's an experience thing, I guess. Uh, on my Northern Michigan deal, that's one place where I do escape everything because that's more of an opportunity to 
to travel up there to be with family and to like get back to my roots and just enjoy kind of the tradition of deer hunting. That's always like November 15th through the maybe 18th or 19th or somewhere around there. I go up to this little one room cabin we have up in the Northern part of the state, spend some time with my dad, uncle, and a couple friends. And, um, that is a great kind of recentering event in my hunting season every year where I, you know, it's kind of the craziness of the, of the rut has kind of gone by our gun season opens up and I can just take some time, enjoy family, enjoy just, um, all the outside parts of hunting that make it so, so special. So it's not just about sitting in a tree, but it's also about the camaraderie. It's also about the stories. It's also about coming into the cabin late at night, you smell, you know, chili dogs on the oven or the stove or whatever, and a cold <laughs> beer and playing cards. And then the next morning, everyone's telling each other good luck and shaking hands and all those little things that, that make it really special too, that, that I get to enjoy at that time frame. that other parts of the year I'm not able to do as much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome that you have the appreciation for that. Cause Tyler and I talk about this a good bit, but the whole deer camp like aspect is something I feel like is starting to get lost, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the way that we all, especially as white tailors, we kind of have this independence, you know, where we mm-hmm. go out and do it on our own. And, you know, it's kind of a solo thing anyways, you know, at least nowadays, you know, you don't have like the big deer drives or when I was growing mm-hmm. up, we had deer camp in South Texas and it was so cool. And I feel like it's awesome that you can still ex- escape and go to that place and, and still have those experiences. And then now, you know, since it's a family thing for y'all, you'll be able to pass that on to to your son, you know, and it's just, oh, yeah. it's cool. And I, I can tell that you look forward to that, you know, and it's awesome. Like in that way. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, uh, on a personal level for me, I'm excited for your Boundary Waters trip because my mom's family is from Ely, and I'm mm, sure you know where yeah. Ely is uh, because of that. You've so, seen it on the map many times. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I've been up there a few times, and uh, kind of always fantasized about doing a Boundary Waters trip. Not so much hunting, um, but I'm very intrigued to see how that goes for you and, you know, wish you the best, of course, but just ready to, to I guess, just uh, absorb that through you, you know, because it's going to be an awesome trip, an epic trip, no matter, you know, how your uh, hunting success goes on it. As long but, as you don't die. Yeah. yeah, as long as you survival is your goal, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's an important one. Yeah. yeah check that one off the list. Yeah, for <laughs> yes. sure. Um, how do you prioritize on these hunts like this? You know, I'm sure if you're like me, you've got like 15 hunts you want to go on and like, you know, you can't do them every year, you know, and you got to pick out your two or three that you really want to do. And, uh, I don't, I don't, I haven't come up with a good, like experience factor scale, you know? So like to say <laughs> yeah. like, okay, this trip's a, you know, uh, 8.3 on this scale. So I want to go do it first. You know, how do you prioritize like the hunts that you want to go do and then kind of schedule them, you know, do you have like a five year or 10 year outlook on, on how things are going to go? Yeah. So I can't say I'm terribly good at this either. Um, <laughs> I definitely don't look that far in the future. I unfortunately kind of fly by the seat of my pants uh-huh. because partly because just kind of life's crazy in general right now, lots and lots of travel between hunting and business and then um, our family travels. And we do a lot of that, like I mentioned. So I'm definitely not looking out past this year. Um, so usually I'm planning out trips in the winter. So, you know, January, February, March, April, I'm like dreaming of like what would be cool. And, you know, there's usually a couple staples in my year. So the staples are usually got to have some good stuff lined up around home here in Michigan. Um, I usually like to have one other state that I can hunt during the rut. 
And then now I've kind of added this September trip where I, I'm pretty sure every year I possibly can, I'd like to do some kind of Western whitetail trip. Um, so that's kind of been the, the things that I found like I really love. I really want to make sure I can do. And then if I'm able to add something and there's a bonus around, you know, around that time frame, I'm going to do that. Um, I have found, you know, for that rut trip, that Midwest rut, I got to be somewhere, you know, at least in my right. What I do for a living is I talk about deer and I film deer and I write about deer. Um, so of course it's important to be in some great, some good locations during the rut to experience some, some interesting, fun things to share. And not to mention, I, I love that too, but it's also important to be able to share that stuff. So, you know, I guess as I'm prioritizing that time frame, I'm trying to pick an area that's going to produce and that's going to be, um, just the right fit for that kind of thing. Now I am, as I alluded to earlier, I'm interested in more and more of these kinds of adventure whitetail hunts. So I want to, you know, there's, there's 8 billion people talking about hunting in Iowa and there's 2 million people talking about hunting in Kansas. And we mm-hmm. kind of see the same thing over and over right now. And it's, it's fun. It's amazing. It's great. But I think that there's something really interesting about doing some of these things like the boundary waters hunt, or I thought about, you know, going to some of these very off the wall locations and backpacking in for a whitetail hunt or doing a float trip for a whitetail <laughs> hunt or, you know, living off the grid for 12 days, you know, spiked out, bivying on a whitetail hunt, chasing whitetails in the mountains, chasing whitetails in the desert, chasing whitetails in the big woods, chasing out or whitetails in the swamps of the south. I want to start each year, at least each year, do one trip like that. That's this different whitetail excursion mm-hmm. um, to show that, you know, whitetail hunting doesn't just need to be sit over a food plot behind your house mm-hmm. and I have nothing against that. I do that. But I think you can also have like a really interesting adventure too. And, you know, pursue our favorite big game animal in that kind of way too. So the boundary waters is my attempt at that this year. Next year, I've got a couple ideas that I've been thinking about. Um, So I want to try to prioritize at least one adventure style type deal too, just to kind of look outside of the boundaries of what we usually think about when, when deer hunting is on top of our mind. Yeah. Um, but I guess I don't even know if I answered your question. I'm not sure if you've got a good way of prioritizing either. I just kind of go with what sounds interesting and fun and um, that possibly could line up with my schedule and budget and that kind of stuff. And every year I kind of figure it out. And then as far as like the trips themselves, because I'm going to so many different places and both during hunting season and outside of hunting season, I am not preparing as much as I wish I would for each hunt. Simply, I just don't have time between mm-hmm. all the other things. So I'm kind of figuring stuff out just ahead of time. Like I, I spent a week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Colorado, Nevada, um, hiking up some mountains and doing some backpacking and fishing with a friend for a project I'm working on. And this was like his big trip for the year. So he'd been thinking about it all the time leading up to it. And he he was texting me for months leading up to it. Like, hey, do you have our itinerary planned out? And where, where do you think about camping? Do we need to make reservations? And I kept saying, oh, I haven't got to think about that yet. Uh, I'll, I'll text you. And then it wasn't until literally three days before the trip that I finally said, okay, I figured out where we're going to go. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think it really stressed him out. So, um, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, I'm just kind of, that's just the necessity of, of how I'm running things right now. But in in an ideal scenario, you'd be planning things out way far ahead of time than I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I feel like that's some of the excitement, too. Like, that, yeah. uh, if you plan things out too much, it's just almost so facilitated that it's not an adventure anymore, you yeah. know? And, and don't get me wrong, like, 
there's always things that go awry or, you know, something weird happens and, you know, the trips, you know, anywhere, anytime you leave like what you're used to, it's an adventure. But it's kind of cool to like, for instance, like we went to Bozeman this, you know, past week and for three nights didn't know where we were going to sleep, you know, until Mm -hmm. we got there. And what's cool is that, you know, we've got this, uh, you know, this tool of this public land that we own that we can, you know, kind of fly by the seat of our pants like you're talking about and be able to do that but you know if we, if and don't get me wrong i really love to like i said look at maps and figure out where we're going to go and do this and that but if you end up sticking to like too much of a protocol or too much of a plan for like what you're going to do sometimes you actually lose that experience because you're so caught up with this that you're missing all these little things that you could be actually be enjoying along the way you know what i mean yeah oh yeah 100 percent agree yeah, And, you know, the one thing I'd add, just on the hunting front, I do think that traveling to different places to deer hunt is, a, is, is something that if you are just aspiring to become as, as effective of a deer hunter as you possibly can, like if that's something that, that drives you and that you are really passionate about, if you want to become the best possible deer hunter you can, I think you are missing out if you only hunt the one property close to home that you've done forever. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I really would advocate to try new places, to go outside of that comfort zone, to go to different states, to go to different regions, to experience different habitat types, different levels of pressure on that deer herd. Um, I 2000% believe that that's made me a much better deer hunter because of that travel and that exposure to this different situations. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's another thing to keep in mind too. Yeah. I totally agree, man. Like it's, it's funny how, um, like there's this this idea of hunting that we develop. It's kind of our hunting ethos. Like as we grow, when we're younger, and this one thing that we really love. Like you know, here I love public land in Texas and doing that thing, and it's a blast. But the more I travel, the more I do other things, the more I'm willing to let go a little bit more, a little bit more of that each season to go do these other experiences. You know, and, and it's kind of strange. It's not that I like um, want to lose that it's just man there's just a bigger world out there and the more you travel yeah. you more and that's and that's an overarching concept of travel in general it doesn't just have to be for hunting you know you hear people you know bloggers from all walks of life talk about that stuff you know it's just kind of travel really can change who you are as a human but yeah. so for sir folks that uh really you know might seek to do some of this traveling and, and going and, and seeing new places and hunting new creatures or hunting whitetails in different places. Um, there's always like this, uh, underlying, um, desire for success, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I really like the idea of, you know, going to an obscure place and doing a whitetail hunt or like, you know, here recently, it's kind of been a buzz on social media for like the July, um, whitetail season in Florida, you know, and that sounds really cool, but, I kind of would like to go somewhere where I actually feel like I have a decent shot at an animal. Not that I have to have success and, you know, and kill an animal to enjoy it. But so, you know, kind of along that note, do you think that like people should be a little bit more open to, uh, their choice of weapon when it comes to going out of state and maybe trying new things? You know, I'm kind of traditionally just a, a bow hunter mostly. Um, but I can just see a world where, like, if success really kind of helps you enjoy a trip that, you know, picking up a rifle and going out, you know, to one of these western states that has rifle seasons could really kind of bolster that for you. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it just comes down to what's going to make you happy or what's going to satisfy you know, you or what the experience is that you want. Uh, I think that's just going to be different for everyone. So for me, um, and I've got nothing wrong with gun hunting at all. I gun hunt some too, but you know, for whatever reason, for a lot of these trips, I just find the idea of going out there with a bow more fun. Like that's, that's the experience or the challenge that, that I want. But certainly if someone doesn't have that, you know, that same thought or feeling, Oh my gosh, going out there with a gun is going to, turn your odds way way up mm-hmm. it just opens up so many different possibilities and you can still have i mean you can certainly still have a great experience i mean last year this is kind of an extreme example of it but i went on a caribou hunt last year and i originally wanted to do i originally thought i was going to do a bow hunt because that's kind of what i always use when i go on any trip I, I pretty much just gun hunt um back home and uh on that that deer camp i talked about so i assumed i'll do a bow hunt but because of the logistics that came up, it was a hunt um, with some other folks, and they were going to be rifle hunting. It turned out, well, I guess I should I should rifle hunt. And I kind of thought at first, oh, you know, that's, that's not going to be what I want. It's not going to be the same kind of hunt, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it doesn't make that huge of a difference when it's that kind of cool experience. Like, there's still an adventure to be had there. Mm-hmm. There's still this new place to see there's still all the other challenges that are going to be there. So it's just to each their own, whatever kind of deal you want to go for. But there certainly are opportunities. I mean, for example, in Iowa, I've, I've always thought about this. Like, am I stupid for applying for the archery tag that I can only get, you know, every two to four years um, when you can get a muzzleloader tag for a lot of these units every year? Mm-hmm. I get on, A lot of us could hunt Iowa almost every single year if you drew one of those muzzleloader tags, which in a lot of units you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just stubborn, I guess, or I just want that <laughs> archery experience or I want the rut experience rather and know that my chances of killing something are much lower than if I went there with that muzzleloader and, you know, out there in whenever it is, December or whatever, um, you could probably kill a really great buck every year. But for me, again, it comes down to in certain situations like that, I want that certain set of things or experiences rather than just the, you know, the, the tag wrapped around an antler. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but I guess <laughs> it just, it just kind of comes down to that, those same core ideas. Yeah, for sure. So what's the best tip that you could give a traveling hunter? Hmm. I guess I'll, I'll do part one and answer part one and answer part two because sure. the, the first part of my answer is again reiterating kind of what we're saying here it's that i would recommend if you're starting to travel to hunt to not get too hung up on filling that tag or achieving whatever your ultimate goal is um because it can get really frustrating especially going to a new place not knowing what you're doing you know it's, it's challenging right there's a whole lot of things a whole lot of obstacles that are going to come up that could throw you off your game plan that could make it really hard for you to, if you've got some kind of really high pie in the sky goal. And if you're so focused on that, and if you can't enjoy yourself unless you achieve that goal, um, that's a real bummer, especially if you are sinking valuable, rare vacation time into it, or you're, mm-hmm. you know, the, the funds that you've saved up for this trip. If, if the only thing that's going to make that money spent and that time spent worthwhile is killing a deer and filling that tag. Um, you're really rolling the dice there. And uh, I would much rather would go into any one of these trips just knowing like, Hey, right, right on the, from the front, I'm always telling myself, of course I have these goals. I'm very goal oriented. I'd love to achieve this goal. I'm going to work my tail off to do that. 
but no matter what happens, I'm going to enjoy it. Whether, you know, if I see a billion deer or if I see one deer, if I, if I kill a giant or I don't shoot anything or I miss four deer, no matter what happens, I am going to enjoy this experience. I'm going to learn something from it. Um, cause it, life's too short to just be miserable uh, or to not enjoy those, the, these chances we do get to go out and do the thing we love. Right. So I would say number one, try to go into it with a, with a number one thing in your mind being just enjoying the experience, mm-hmm. learning something, enjoying it, you know, just doing what we talked about a second ago, like taking a second to step out of it and, and look at the sky, look at the scene, smell the air. Um, that would be the first thing I'd say. Mm-hmm. And then number two, I guess, as far as, you know, trying to be effective as a hunter, I would just recommend if you've got the time and if there's like your one big trip, obviously put in as much preparation as you can. This is not, this is not any kind of revolutionary idea here, but simply put the, the more prep work you put into it, the more likely it is you're going to be able to achieve your goal of filling that tag. So whether it be going in the spring for a scouting trip or in the summer for a scouting trip, pairing stands or walking the property or whatever um if you can't do that just lots and lots of time spent looking at maps maybe try to find some locals call a local game biologist or something like that try to learn whatever anything you can do to stack the odds in your favor try to do that i guess my third tip i'm really bad at this as you can no, see hey, give you all the tips we'll take any tips i mean you can go to 50 if you want <laughs> <laughs> and my one other thing would be to be adaptable though so do as much preparation as you possibly can. But as soon as you get to that location, stuff might be completely different than you thought. Anytime you travel outside of your comfort zone, anytime you're going to a new area, you are you know at the mercy of the elements, at the mercy of other hunters, possibly. You're just there's so many different things that can change. So you just have to be able to adapt. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to go into it and, and change things completely. So just don't get stuck in a rut. So if you planned out, and you had these two tree stand locations on your map maybe that you thought were going to be great. Maybe you hung stands there in the spring. You've looked at it a thousand times. You've had cameras there, and this is it. And you show up, and on day one, you don't see anything, or maybe someone else hung a tree stand right next to you or whatever it might be. I would just say be willing to change. Be willing to be mobile. Be willing to reevaluate and adjust. It's, it's really easy this is something I think they can apply even when you're hunting at home. It's really easy to, to go with whatever's comfortable, whatever is easiest. Even the, the hardest working of us are still tempted to be lazy a lot. You know, if you've got a set tree stand and it's there and it's a whole lot easier to climb up to that tree stand and sit there and maybe it's not the best spot to be, but it's less of a pain in the butt than having to take that stand down and move it a hundred yards down it's really easy to fall into that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I I'm guilty of it sometimes even still today. I'm trying every year to get better and better at being willing to change. You got to be willing to change to the circumstances that are present now, not mm-hmm. what you wanted them to be, not what you thought they were going to be, but what's happening right now. Um, I think that's so important on these traveling trips, especially because you've got a limited time frame. You've got five days or seven days. You can't afford to sit back and take the easy way. Um, when things are not the way that you originally thought they're going to be. Uh-huh. So that's some very high level advice, but I think those are a couple of like core concepts that can, everything else then kind of falls underneath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great tips, man. Um, in this year going forward, is there one tactic that you're focused on that will elevate your game or maybe allow you to 
focus in and get a shot or an encounter with your target buck that you were speaking to earlier? You know, I think there's, there's two things maybe for me. Um, I think the first, the biggest change I'm making this year is that I'm, I'm trying to do what I just told you guys. I'm trying to do that even better Mm -hmm. um, than I've done in the past. So I'm trying to become more mobile. I'm trying to make it easier for me to be more mobile, to change things up, to be adaptable. So I'm, I'm doing that by, adding a tree saddle to my repertoire. Mm -hmm. So rather than just hunting with a portable tree stand and climbing sticks, I'm now going to try this whole saddle deal where you kind of get up into a tree and you hang in this kind of harness type deal. And that just makes it a whole lot easier to move around because I don't need to haul a tree stand and sticks around me all the time anymore. I don't need to pull a tree stand out of the tree. I don't need to hang a tree stand. I just, I'm basically wearing my tree stand, I'm wearing a harness and I can either take a set of sticks with me to climb up into the tree, or I also have these, um, these new individual strap steps. So it's like a little plastic step with a strap around it and you can put each individual step up, but it's really lightweight. So it's a dozen steps and they can't weigh more than a couple pounds, maybe max altogether. So instead of having like you know, a 12, 13 pound tree stand and maybe eight pound steps. So you're talking at least 20 pounds, maybe more of tree stand gear, plus your harness that you're wearing. Um, now all of a sudden I've got like two pounds Mm -hmm. and that just makes things a lot easier to go hiking in new places to move around. It just, it, it just removes one more obstacle to doing things the way I know I should be doing them. So I'm hoping that's really going to allow me to do things different, to, to hunt new tree stands, you know, to not, get stuck hunting the same spot three or four times instead you know i could have four hunts that's the first time ever in that tree mm-hmm. i think every time you're hunting a new place for the first time you've got a great you've got a better chance um simply because deer aren't onto you yet so i'm just going to try to do that a lot more i'm going to try to have a lot more first sits and i think that's something that can help me kill my target buck this buck i call Holyfield. Mm-hmm. um and i think it can help me on these different traveled hunt trips as well so that's the biggest change um yeah. And then the one other thing that I've been focusing on, and I started this last year, and that has been just changing how I shoot my bow to try to just become a better in-the-moment bow hunter. Handling, I had, and I kind of come to realize I've had a little bit of like a target panic deal mm-hmm. where I just, I've rushed a number of shots in the past, and it worked out fine most of the time. Um, I've only wounded one uh, I only wounded one deer that I didn't recover during that time frame, but I found myself, I just knew that I wasn't, as much in control of the situation as I should be. And I, I that's not acceptable to me. Like, I, I don't want to know that I'm not doing it just right and just keep doing it that way. I had right. to change it to try to get better, to try to um, be able to be more effective and more responsible hunter. So I've changed this new style of shooting my bow where I've kind of got a different set of mental processes I go to that kind of keeps me in control of that process. And then I'm also shooting with like a back tension style um, sequence. So mm-hmm. that I started at the end of last summer, didn't end up killing a deer, didn't end up shooting a deer with my bow because of I was chasing this one deer and never got my shot at him. Um, but this year, hopefully I'm going to be able to, to put that to the test. And so I guess this is going to be the year where I find out if, if all the work I've done on that, on relearning how to shoot my bow in that way, hopefully I will be able to um, see the fruits of my labor on that front. So I think those are the two biggest changes that I'm making. Yeah. Awesome, man. That's exciting. I'm, I look forward to following it, and uh, man, I can't say thanks enough for doing this, and just for your integrity and leadership in the in our community, man, it means a lot. I know Casey and myself, and I'm sure a lot of people out there, and 
and uh, best of luck this fall, Mark. Uh, hey, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I mm-hmm. appreciate the support. I appreciate anyone who's been following along with what I've been doing. Um, that that time and interest and attention uh, means the world. Sure. So I've just been really, really blessed to be able to do this and to share what I've been doing. So anytime I can give back and uh, chat with chat with folks like you guys, it's, it's a lot of fun. So awesome. thank you. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Well, we will talk to you soon, I'm sure, man. Send us some pics. All right. Good luck to you guys, too. All right. Thanks. Man, from a guy that likes to travel a lot, those are some good tips for sure. Yeah, no kidding, man. And I I can uh, take a lot from Mark because that dude is about to go do a lot of cool things, and I like to do cool things as well. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's and that's something that we can all probably uh, – do a better job of is being willing to learn from other people you know because i'm so independent sometimes and i want to like do things my way but yeah man if you can look at other people and see what they do that works and what doesn't you know you can kind of really adjust that learning curve and that's really what podcasting is all about you yeah. know like it's about sharing information with people well how much did we learn we talked about this how much did we learn from Raul on the float trip you oh know? yeah man i mean like, and stuff that can be you know, it's a, like you said earlier, it's a totally different deal, and you had a lot of things to learn just about floating in general and, and line management and everything. But like, we could, we took we could take stuff from that to our wade fishing. Some of the stuff that we learned, I feel like, and yeah. it would be helpful, you know. So yeah, it really sure. is cool, man. Uh, you know, it's, and speaking of experience and and learning stuff, uh, we learned something at the airport today. <laughs> That if you're traveling, you might want to take note of. Yeah, uh, KC, I feel bad for you, man. It's not that bad, but it does does kind of stink. Um, they changed the law pretty much while we were gone. <laughs> I don't know if it's, I guess it's a rule, not really a law, but TSA no longer allows you to carry tents on the plane, like a tent that you sleep in when you're camping. Yep. Not because of the like material, but it's the poles. Apparently, the poles they think you're gonna like kill somebody with. Yeah. Well, we made it through security in DFW and made it up to Montana with the tent. Yeah. But we show up at 5 a.m. this morning at the airport, and, uh, man, I hate to tell you this, but uh, can't do that. Yeah. No, are you serious? And, like, we didn't have enough time to go back and no. check the bag or whatever they were saying you could do that. I was like, no way, I ain't risking that, you know? Uh, so well, then you got another, you know, 25 or whatever bucks in the yeah, tent and exactly. everything. And, so and I- to be honest, this tent's about six or seven years old and still plenty of life in it. But I got it on sale. It is a good backpacking tent, but I spent like thirty bucks on it. So like it was a really good deal, you know. It, but uh, such a good tent though. It man. was man. It was a good tent. I'm kind of sad to lose it. So I don't know if you are going to go visit Bozeman, Montana anytime soon. If you're listening, but if you do, you might swing by the Lost and Found or Claimed and and get a cool tent yeah. over there. I don't know if they'll give it to you or not. But you can try. <laughs> yeah, they're all weird about everything. Yeah. It drives me a little bit crazy, and I know. It's probably for the better, the you know, betterment of the people or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, the people we talked to at the location were cool about stuff. Yeah. You know, they were like kind of joking about it a little bit, like, "Dude, I'm sorry," you know, or whatever. You know, it's just, but yeah, it's the broader TSA that's kind of, kind of iffy sometimes. Right. But yeah, Bozeman Airport was cool though in general. You know, like it's kind of neat when you go to these places where um, everybody that is going through that airport more often than not is going there to have fun some way so yeah. everybody's just in a good mood yeah yeah for sure man it was a it was a disappointing loss this morning but uh <laughs> we made it through and um now it is time 
within... the moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> I can do a baritone now pretty good because um, I've had yeah. the cold. So yeah. yeah, for sure. Say some bass things. Okay, I'll uh, see what I can make you do here in okay. a second. Sounds good. Um, so <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and give away the Onyx premium memberships that we've been talking about for about a month now. There were 28 entries, so 28 reviews on the podcast. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Thanks, guys. I went to random.org, I believe is what it was, and there's a random number selector. And I put 1 to 28, and I pressed search or whatever it is. Not search, but select or whatever. And the first one that came up was number 19. Who was number 19? Number 19, BLSL86. Way to go, BLSL86. I don't know who you are, but if you will send us a message one way or another, uh, we would prefer for you to go through the website, theelementwild.com, and send us an email through there at our contact page. And we will send that Onyx free premium membership to you in the mail. Thanks for participating. You guys, man, y'all had some great, great reviews. We were also giving away another one. Wait, we had two, two to give away. That's right. Oh, my goodness. So you had a one in, what is that, 14 chance? That's pretty good math That's pretty. Spot. That's pretty good chances yeah. of winning one. That's pretty good chances. You're sitting there listening, wishing you were one of those people. <laughs> I guarantee you. Um, so... Anyway, we gave away one more, and we selected another random number, and that was number 25, correct? Number 25. Who is number 25? Number 25 is Hoyt1113. Hoyt1113, congratulations to you. You need to send us a message as well through the website, hopefully, or you can do it through Facebook and Instagram if it's easier for you. and we will send you a free premium membership. Again, guys, thanks so much for all the love. It means a lot to us, and uh, we've really, um, you know, we've really been able to see who's listening and get some feedback through this and understand what what you guys are enjoying yeah, about that's the right. podcast. And, so. Yeah, and by all means, you know, thanks for your reviews, but thanks for your support in general. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's really cool that y'all actually care to. Uh, listen to us or at least listen to us ramble before we get somebody on who really knows what they're talking about in the, the meaty part of the, yeah. <laughs> the interview. But uh, uh, on that note, um, if you like what we're doing, tell your friends about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody's got a hunting season coming up. We're going to be driving to the lease or to the stand or whatever. And uh, we're going to have some really good um, interviews and talks lined up for the fall that will really, we hope, at least help you uh, – Find whatever success you're searching for in yep. the deer woods. Great guest for sure. And you know, we were able to meet uh, the founder of Onyx this weekend, and he was a really, really nice dude. So yeah. we we feel you know very, uh, very good about doing this giveaway. We feel very good about uh, using that product, and I hope that you guys do the same. Um, you know, I hope you guys are staying cool out there because uh, we were for a while, but we're back to the grind of <laughs> heat and sweat. So uh, we're gonna get out of here. I hope you guys have a great week, and God bless. And remember, this is your element. Living it. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. 
Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.